Welcome to Directions in Rashi, a podcast that will help you understand individual comments from Rashi throughout the Chumash, and that will also introduce you to some of the general principles which I feel uh, directed Rashi in his creation of his commentary, and that will help us to understand his commentary better all around. Welcome. Parshas Emor includes a long section about the Mayadim, about the special times of the year. It begins with Shabbos, which in itself is somewhat of a question, but we're not going to address that question now. But then it goes on to the Korban Pesach, which is brought on the 14th day of Nisan, and then it talks about the 15th day of Nisan, which is the first day of Pesach. And then it tells us that then it tells us about Sfira Soimer. What is Sfira Soimer very, very quickly and, and in a way that is very close to what it says in the Psukim themselves? Is that, well, before we get to Sfira Soimer, it tells us that on the second day of Pesach, we are to bring in the Beis Amikdash what is called the Korban Oimer. And Oimer is a measurement. And in this case, it is a measurement of barley, which is waved and brought as a korban in the base of Mekdash. It is a korban mincha, a grain offering. And then the Torah tells us, you will count from, from the day that you bring the korban o'emer, you will count seven weeks until you get to the end of the seven weeks. And then the 50th day is another yomtev. And on that yomtev, it says, you will bring a new mincha to Hashem, which is called the Shtei HaLechem. These are two loaves of bread, which are chametz. That is extremely unusual that a Korban Mincha would be made of chametz. But here the Torah tells us to bring two loaves of chametz bread. And there are other certain animal Korbanas that go together with this. And this is the umptif that we call Shavuos. It says, You will call out, you will declare on this day, a mikro kodesh, a holy, uh, a holy calling. You will call it out as a holy day, etc. Okay, so it has told us about Pesach and the Korban O'Emer, Sviras O'Emer, Shavuos. What should come next? What's next should be Rosh Hashanah. And in fact, if we skip a few psukim, it talks about B'chodesh Hashvi'i B'yachad B'chodesh. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, it will be for you a day of rest. A remembrance or an evocation of trua, of the blasting of the shofar. However, what if we don't skip a couple of sukkim? If we don't skip a couple of sukkim, it comes out like this. The Torah tells us all about Shavuos, what we're supposed to do on Shavuos. And then in Pasuk Chav Beis, it says, When you cut, when you harvest the harvest of your land, do not complete the corner of your field when you are harvesting. In other words, do not harvest the entire field. Leave over one corner. And also the gathering 
of your harvest. You shall not gather, which means, as Rashi explains, we're not going to go into this Rashi, but as Rashi explains that if as you are cutting the stalks of wheat, barley or other grain, if one or two, uh, one or two stalks, one or two stalks fall out of your hand as you are cutting, so they have to be left on the ground. You cannot go back and pick them up. What do you do with this corner of the field and with these uh, spare stalks that fall on the ground? You will leave them for the poor and for the convert. I am Hashem, your God. Let's take a look at Rashi on this passage. Rashi begins, Rashi says the Torah went back and repeated this commandment in order that you should, should, should transgress upon them two laven, two negative commandments. Now, what is Rashi talking about? So you have to know that in last week's Parsha, Parsha's Kedoshim, we had almost the exact same Pesach. It says in Parsha's Kedoshim, in your harvesting of the harvest of your land, do not finish off the corner of your field to harvest it, meaning don't harvest all the way to the end of the field. Leave over one corner. And the droppings, the, the, the extra sheaves of your harvesting, you shall not collect. So it is almost in, in the exact same process. If you look carefully, there's one small difference, which I am not going to attempt to explain for the simple reason that I don't know how to explain it. But it is almost exactly the same wording. So we have already in Parshish Kedoshim, a Pasuk that tells us that we have to leave off Teya and we have to leave off Leket. We have to, we have to do these two mitzvahs. So Rashi here had an implicit question. Rashi here in in Parshish Emor, he was he is addressing an implicit question. Why is the Torah repeating this commandment? And Rashi says, The Torah repeats it so that when you, if you will do this Avera, you will be getting two Averas. Because the Torah says not to do it twice. Before we continue, I'd like to point out that this is a classic example of uh, several general principles that we can, that we can discern in Rashi. General principle number one, I'm not really going in any particular order. The general principle number one is that usually Rashi does not explicitly state what his question is. He implies what his question is. Really, he expects you to know what the question is. He just gives you the answer. So here, Rashi doesn't say, why does the Torah repeat this mitzvah? Wasn't it already stated in the Parshish Kedashim? He doesn't write such words. He just implies that there's a question. How does he imply that there's a question? By giving you the answer. He says, the Torah repeated th this commandment because it, it wanted to make it more severe that if you, uh, that if you transgress it, you are going to get two sins, two abeys, two loisases on your, on your platter. He's addressing a question. He's not expressing the question. And that is Rashi's derech in most places as is quite well known. The other general principle that we see Rashi exhibiting here 
is that where he has a question about why would the Torah repeat itself, he only addresses it when he comes to the later Pesach. Now, I have put them here upside down, but really, Parshas Kedoshim, of course, comes before Parshas Amor. In Parshas Kedoshim, the Pesach said that you have to leave over Peya and Leket. Rashi didn't comment about that over there. He didn't comment about the fact that it is repeated in another place. When does Rashi wake up to the problem that this mitzvah is repeated? Well, it makes sense. He wakes up to it when it's repeated. When in Parshas Amor, the Torah says it again, so then Rashi deals with the repetition. Okay, really all of that is, is quite elementary. Now let's continue in the Rashi. So, so far Rashi said that the Torah in this Pasuk is repeating the, the prohibitions of not leaving over Peah and not leaving over Leket. And, and the reason is, why does the Torah repeat it? So that it should be considered as two Avelas if somebody commits this crime. Now, Omar Rebbe Avardimas or Avdimi, in different texts of Rashi, you have different, uh, different spellings of this person's name. Omar Rebbe Av, I'll read it Avdimi. That's what I'm used to. But it doesn't really matter. Omar Rebbe Avdimi, Rebbe Asi. I think in some texts it says, Rebbe Yosef. Okay. Ma roha kasuv lit no, the emsa haragol. What did the Pusik see? Meaning, why did the Pusik, why did scripture see fit to place this mitzvah in the middle of a discussion of the regolim, of the of the three festivals of the year and the other Yom and Tevin. Pesach v'atzeres mikan. You have Pesach and Atzeres, which means Shuas, on this side, meaning those are the first two Moyadim that the Torah discusses. Rosh Hashanah v'yom Kippurim v'yachag mikan. And Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Chag, which means Chag HaSukais, on the other side. As we showed before, the Torah told us about Pesach and Sfiris O'Emer and Shuas. And then it pauses and tells you when, you when you cut your field, don't cut off the edge, don't cut off the last corner, and make sure you leave the leket to the poor. And then it continues, and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Chag HaSukas. So, Rabbi Avadimi, Avadimis, Rabbi Avdimi, Rabbi whatever his name is, this, this great rabbi Rashi, uh, raises the question, and Rashi is raising the question, why did the Torah do this? What, what as my grandson in Eretz Yisrael has learned to say, Mahakesha, what is the connection between Peya and Leket and the Gimel Rebel? So Rashi answers, he's really quoting an answer from Rabbi Avadimus Barabasi, this is to teach you. Whoever gives leket, which is what we discussed, shikha is where you were piling up, you were making bundles of grain in the field, which you were then later going to pick up and bring to the storage house. But as you went and picked them up, you forgot one. So that's called shikha. You are not allowed to go back and get it. You have to leave it there for the poor. Upeya. And someone who leaves peya, umaser ani, and somebody in the uh, third and sixth year of the shemitah cycle leaves over a tenth of his brothers for the poor, karoi, according to what is proper. Whoever gives these various gifts to the poor, whoever does these various mitzvahs, malina love keilu banavesamikdash. So they make it for him, they count it for him as if he has built the besamikdash. 
umakrid korbonis l'seicha, and he has brought korbonis in the base of Mikdash. Astounding. If you do these mitzvahs, leket shikru peya maser oni, so it is if you have built the base of Mikdash and you have brought korbonis. That is the connection between these mitzvahs and the regolam, because primarily, what are we supposed to do on regolam, and what does the what do the psukim in Rashi's Emmer say about the regolam? Primarily, they are times for bringing korbanos. We uh, we're we're, we're poor, uh, poor pathetic people. We think that pesach means sitting in in Flatbush or somewhere in Lakewood and and uh, eating kanebuch if, if you if you partake. Eating, eating matzah. I mean, that's very nice. That's what we should do. But that's not really what Pesach is all about. Pesach is, is, is really uh, about going to Yerushalayim and bringing korbanas. So the Torah put the mitzvahs of Leket, Shikra, and Peah in the middle of the parashas for Golem to tell you that whoever gives Leket, Shikra, and Peah, it is equivalent to someone who built the base of Mikdash and went there and brought korbanas. Let's finish the Rashi. And whoever does not give Leket Shechel Peya properly, we consider it, they consider it for him as if the Besamikdash is standing and he does not bring Korbanos in the Besamikdash. He declines to go. The opportunity is there. Eh, I don't feel like going. Too much trouble. Okay, a very, very uh, interesting Rashi. Let's begin, as I usually usually do, with some technical questions. Pardon me while I open up my notes. Okay. Technical question I have is on this second part of the Rashi. The first part of the Rashi I showed you very much follows the two of Rashi's very important principles of not asking questions explicitly, but rather only implying them, and also only asking a question about a repetition of a mitzvah when he comes to the repetition, when he comes to the second pasuk. Rashi's second question, however, this question, why did the Torah, what did the Torah see fit? Why did the Torah see fit? To place the mitzvahs of Leket, Shikra, and, and Peah. Why did the Torah see it fit to place it in the middle of a parsha about the Regolim? So here, Rashi is asking an explicit question. He is, he is pointing, he is saying very clearly what his question is. This is somewhat unusual. I would also like to raise the question, and I'm not sure how well I'll be able to answer this second question, but I'd like to raise it. Why does Rashi quote Rabbi Avardimus or Rabbi Yaisio or whatever his name is, why does he quote this person, this great rabbi, by name? In most places, Rashi does not reveal to us his sources. You can, you can buy, you can get a hold of uh, many different editions of Rashi, which are footnotes or parentheses. He'll tell you this Rashi, this statement came from the Gemara in Baba Metziah over here. This Rashi came from the Midrash Rabbah over there. And you can go look up the Gemara and you'll see this statement was made by, by uh, Rabbi Yochanan and this statement was made by Rabbi Akiva. Okay, 
but Rashi does not usually tell you. Why that's so is a very interesting point. I'm not going to go into it now. But here, Rashi tells you which great Chacham asked this question and gave this answer. That's also a question. Why does he do that? In order to begin to answer these questions, answer this question, I'd like to discuss some of the alternative explanations, alternatives to Rashi. Again, the question is, and it's a very obvious question in the scene, is that why is the mitzvah of Peya and Leket in the middle of this Parsha about Rebbein? So there are a number of interesting alternatives. Ibn Ezra says that we just mentioned Pesach and the Korban Omer and the Sfiras Omer and Shavuos. The last thing that we spoke about was Shavuos. That's referring to Shavuos. And the Ibn Ezra points out that Shavuos is the time of the gathering of the wheat crop. The truth is, if you learn these psukim in Emor, you will come to that conclusion. And you will see it even more explicitly in a Pasuk in Parshish Ki, ki Siso, where the Torah refers to, to Shavuos as Bikurek Tzir Chitim. It is the time of the first fruits of the harvest of the wheat. So the Ibn Ezra says, since the Psukim are now talking about the time of the harvesting of the wheat, so his here, the Torah now warns you, you should not forget that which I commanded you to do during those days. In other words, when is the when are the mitzvahs of Peya and uh, Leket? And, and also we can say Shikha and Maiser Oni, when are those mitzvahs most relevant? Of course, they are, they, are, they are in effect at all times. So when are they most relevant? They are most relevant at the time when people were harvesting their most important crop, which was wheat. That's, what's, that, that's what sustained, sustained people more than anything, more than any other agricultural crop. So since here in this Parsha, and at this moment in the Parsha, the Torah is discussing the, the time of the year, the season, when people were harvesting the wheat. So the Torah yeah, reminded us, make sure to leave over Peya and Leket. Sounds like a pretty good explanation. It's, it's, uh, it's using the context of the Pusik. And it's not saying anything uh, very, uh, very imaginative, very uh, artificial. It, it's sticking to what it says here. That's the Ibn Ezra's approach. Ramban has a different approach. Ramban says that when the Torah tells us here to make sure to give Peya and Leket, it's a remez. It's hinting to us something. It's a remez. It is a reference, a, a hint to the harvest that was mentioned at the beginning of the Parsha, which was the, the harvesting, the Ksira Sa'imer the cutting of the barley to bring the korban ha'ina. And we'll just read a few words of the Ramban. Reishis kitzirchem, the beginning of your cutting, because the barley, the, the beginning of the barley harvest has to begin with the cutting of the grain of the barley for the oimer. Until that time, until you cut the, the barley for the oimer, you're not allowed to harvest any other barley or any other wheat for that matter. Even though the wheat is not really, would, would not normally be ready at that time. 
But that has to be the racious kitzirchem, says the Ramban. You should not finish the corner, meaning you should not completely cut that field that you are that you are harvesting for the barley for the oimer, and don't gather up the leket for yourself. This is to say, this mitzvah of Ksiris this very important mitzvah of cutting grain, barley grain, to be brought as a korban in the base of Mikdash on the second day of Pesach, the korban oimer, is not doiche, it does not push forth these prohibitions of leket and pay. Even though you're out there cutting the barley for a mitzvah, a mitzvah that's going to be done in the base of Mikdash, don't think that you don't have to take off, that you don't have to leave over pay in Lekha. So the Torah warns you, no, you have to take off, you have to leave over Peya and Lekha. And leave that there for the Aniyah. Even though you, this harvest is not for your personal use, it's for the base of Mikdash, nonetheless, you have to leave over Peya in Lekha. Also, very interesting, and I think very close to the pshat. And we have one more explanation from the Svarno, Rabbi Avadya Svarno. Let's read a little bit over here. When you harvest, says the Svarno, after the thanking Hashem for the harvest, and for its success, meaning that you brought the Korban and then on Shavuos, you brought the Shteyalechen, you brought two loaves of wheat bread. So by doing so, you have thanked the Kodesh Baruchu for the harvest and for its success. So then, is here al mitzvahs, the kiyom hamomen hamusab beatzlacha. Then the Torah commands us and warns us about mitzvahs whose purpose is to maintain the property and the wealth that has been attained with success. Betziva aleket upeya. And the Torah commands us about Leket and Pei, Leket and Pei. In other words, bringing the Korban O'imer and bringing the Nishtei Alechem is our way of thanking HaKadosh Baruch Hu for a successful crop. And then the Torah says, then Hashem says in the Torah, and if you want to hold on to that wealth, you want to make sure that you keep it, make sure that when you harvest your fields, the next time, I suppose, or in retrospect, going back to, the, to when you were harvesting, Make sure that you give some of it to the poor, the paya and the leket, and so on. Okay, we have three alternatives to Rashi. And I think there's a common denominator to all three of these explanations, the Ibn Ezra, the Ramban, and Swano. The common denominator is they're all explaining why this basic, why is it written in this spot in the Torah, in the middle of the Torah's list of the Mayadim. And they are all Korayv Lipshat. They are all quite close to the Pshat. They are not bringing in any fanciful, filpalistic uh, uh, explanations. They are all really sticking very close to what it says here in the Psukah, in one way or another. However, Rashi didn't like any of them, apparently, because Rashi said a different explanation. Rashi said, Rashi begins his comment here by saying that the Torah repeated the mitzvah of, of, uh, of Leket and Peya because it wanted to tell you, 
Vishnevada. In other words, it seems that Rashi, he didn't like the Ibn Ezra and the Ramban in this form for some reason. He, did, he didn't like those explanations. Now, of course, he didn't actually see them, but he didn't look at the Psukim the same way they did. And perhaps we can understand it. Although all three of these comments are, I would say, pretty close to the shot, and yet there is a, there's a little bit of a fault in all of them. There is a weak point in each one of them, a different weak, weak point. Ibn Ezra says that since we, we just mentioned here, Kagashvois, which is the time of the year when you harvest your wheat. So the Torah put in an advertisement over here, don't forget to leave over the leket and the peya for the, for the poor when you're harvesting the wheat. Uh, I mean, that's not necessarily such a good reason to repeat the mitzvah, just because now, at this time of the year, it's becoming relevant. I mean, the Torah told us in Parashat's Kedoshim that when you're cutting your field, don't cut away the last corner and give the leket, give the, the, two, the one or two fallen sheaves, give them to the poor. That's the mitzvah, always. It's not necessary to repeat it, just because the Torah happens to be talking here about the time of year when people are cutting their wheat. Let's look at the Ranban. Ranban says, you might have thought that when you cut the barley for the Korban Oimer, perhaps that mitzvah is doiche, the mitzvah is a peya and leket. Perhaps when you cut the barley for the Korban Oimer, you don't have to give peya and leket. Interesting. Now, there is such a concept in halacha, or as my Rebbeim like, used to like to say, and, and I remember one Rebbe, he should be well, that uh, if one of the Barchim would say, I say, oh, no, 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 it's there is a concept in Allah that a mitzvah say, a positive commandment, can push off a mitzvah. For example, there's a mitzvah say in the Torah of Rismila requiring you to, to cut off a certain little piece of a male baby's anatomy. There's also a, a loisa say in the Torah, there's a prohibition in the Torah, that if a person has on his or her body a negatsaras, that you are not permitted to cut it off. You have to bring it to the Kayan and see what the Kayan instructs you to do, how many weeks of, uh, of quarantine and so on. You can't just cut it off, that's awesome. Now, what if an eight day old baby boy has a negatsaras exactly on that spot of his anatomy. What do you do? The mitzvah of Mila is telling you, cut it off. The mitzvah of, of saras tells you, don't cut it off. So the Gemara says, the mitzvah say of Mila, the positive mitzvah of Mila, pushes off the loisase of negatsaras. Now, maybe you'll say over here that the mitzvah say of cutting the wheat for the oimer pushes off the loisa say that you're not allowed to be mechale pasitzodcha. You're not allowed to finish off the last corner of your field. Torah states it as a loisa say. But really, there's no reason to think that if you know even a little bit of Gemara. Because the whole law of asay deicha loisa say is only when the two mitzvahs collide at the same time in an inevitable clash. For example, 
the mitzvah to, to circumcise this baby on the eighth day. But he has an egg right there where, where the moil has to cut. So there's an inevitable clash. Do you do the milo or do you put the knife down and and because we don't want to touch the negat saras. There, the Torah says, there the halacha dictates, but here, there's no inevitable clash. I can cut the ksirasahimer and I can leave over payah. There's really no, really not very uh, convincing in terms of halacha that I would have thought that perhaps I should be, I should be allowed to even cut away the payah. In order to 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 cut my my barley for the korban oimer, so I can certainly understand why Rashi didn't like Ramban's explanation. The Svarno's explanation is that by bringing the korban oimer and the korban shteilechem, we are thanking Hakadosh Baruch Hu for the success of our harvest, and then the Torah tells us to observe the mitzvahs of peya and uh, and leket because this will preserve our, our, uh, our crops. Well, who said that's the, 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 the primary reason of the Korban O'Emer and the Korban Shteyalecha to thank the Kodesh Baruch for our hearts? I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's included, but to say that that's the primary reason, that's, that's I, I don't know how, Isfona was a very great Chacham, I mean, that's what he felt. But I don't. I'm, I don't think Rashi was. I don't. I don't think I have to say that Rashi also felt that way. In general, Rashi doesn't get so involved with Tamei mitzvahs. Rashi's not so quick to to designate what the reason for a mitzvah is. Maybe according to Rashi, the the primary reason for korban oimer and the shteilechem is something else, and it's discussed in Sforim. Other other reasons for the korban oimer and the shteilechem it has to do with with the, the C.S. Mitzrayim and Latin Torah, or that that's choice B and maybe maybe choice C, D, or E. I don't think Rashi would have, would have liked such an approach, which, which depends on determining what the reason for this mitzvah is and then going forward to the next step. So Rashi begins his commentary by saying, why is this mitzvah repeated? Doesn't, doesn't say that explicitly, but he addresses the question, why is this mitzvah repeated? It's not being repeated because uh, we're talking here about the harvest season, so it's necessary to repeat it. No, it's not being repeated because maybe you would have thought when you're cutting the korban o'emer, you don't have to observe the mitzvahs of peya and leket. It's not being repeated because uh, as a way of uh, ensuring that the success of the harvest is preserved. None of those reasons impressed Rashi. Rashi says, you know why the Pesach, you know why the mitzvah of, Le- of uh, Peya and Leket is being repeated? Simply repeating it to tell you that a person who cuts away the entire field without leaving a corner for the poor has transgressed two Averus. Same Averu, but he did it twice. And the Torah says it twice in order to make it into two Averus. Now, it could be, at this point, Rashi said to himself, if that's the only reason, that is the answer for why the Torah repeated this mitzvah. Okay, good. That's a, that's a good answer. 
but why would it repeat it here? Ibn Ezra and the Ramban and the Svarno, their way of understanding why this mitzvah is repeated has to do with the context of the Pesach, that it's in the middle of the Parsha of Regola. But Rashi rejected all those reasons for one reason or another. I suggested my thoughts on that. But certainly Rashi just says, the Torah is repeating this mitzvah just to tell you that when you do it, you're really doing it twice. When you transgress this sin, you're really getting two sins, but it is not connected to the context of the Pesach. So now Rashi asks a question on himself. Why he quotes it from Rabbi Avadimus, let's put that aside for the moment. But now Rashi addresses a question on himself. Why did the Torah see fit to put this repetition of the mitzvah in the middle of a parsha about the regolim? If the whole reason is just to tell you that when a person cuts his entire field and doesn't leave over Thea, that he's getting two of errors rather than just one. Okay, that's a good answer. But wait a minute. What, why did that have to be placed in the Torah in the middle of a parsha about the regolim? This I have explained many times, that although when, when Rashi is addressing a question about the Pusik itself, and it's a question that any intelligent person should have felt as he or she read the Pusik, then Rashi will not express the question explicitly. He will simply address it. He will answer it. But when Rashi is asking a question on himself, on something that he already said, Rashi will consistently write out the question. And I think that's what's happening over here. Saying my answer about why this mitzvah is repeated is a very nice answer, but it has nothing to do with the context of the Pesach. So I still have to ask, why is this Pesach written over here in this Parsha about the Regolah? She answers, it's to tell you that whoever gives Leket Chikrutei and Maser Ani is considered as if he has built the Vesemikdash and brought Korbanais inside the Vesemikdash. The Torah is telling you the great reward for, for doing these mitzvahs of Peya and Leket, etc. Of course, yeah, perhaps uh, we have at least addressed the technical questions, but what is the meaning of Rashi's answer? Why is that? Why is that if you give Peya and Leket, let's stick to those. Those are the ones that are really uh, clearly stated in the Pasuk. Why is it that if you do those two mitzvahs, it's as if you built the Beis HaMikdash? Let's take a look at a Gur Arya. We'll read part, we'll summarize other parts. Let's begin by reading. Atam Yidu, the reason he says is known. Well, it's known to some people. It wasn't known to me until I looked at the Gur Arya. The reason is no. Bringing a korban means that you are giving from your property to a Kodesh Baruch. That's part of what it means to, to bring a korban. Korbanus, they cost in gelt, they cost money. Sheep, a cow, these are, these are uh, fairly expensive uh, items. And you're giving them to Hashem. The chain, and similarly, the person who gives these various gifts to the aniyam, to the poor. So he's giving his mamayim, he's giving his property to the poor. 
which is like a korban to Hashem. Because this also, by giving to the poor, la Hashem nechshov. It is considered as if you gave it to Hashem. Shaharei ksiv, because the Pasuk is written, malveh Hashem chenein dal. You have to read this Pasuk kind of backwards. Chenein dal, he who bestows kindness, he who grants favors to the dal, to the poor, malveh Hashem, he is lending money to a Kaddish Baruch. One could uh, speak at length about the profound meaning of this Pasuk, but just on a simple level, if you lend money, if you give money to a poor person, so it's like you're giving it to Hashem. Well, Afichach therefore says the Maral, it's as if he has built the Beis Amikdash and brought there a Korban. So you give to the poor, it's like you're giving to Hashem. Giving to Hashem, how do you give to Hashem? You bring a Korban in the Beis Amikdash. So giving to the poor is like building the Beis Amikdash and going there and bringing a Korban. Now, question is, maybe tzedakah is also like that. Maybe every time I give a, a dollar or a dime or a quarter to the poor man who comes around shul every morning, maybe that's also like I built the base of Mikdash. The Maral says no. Well, they dummy lit stucker. This is not the same as stucker. Even though the Torah obligates a person to give stucker, when we give stucker, we're not merely being nice, generous. We're doing something that we are obligated to do, but safe, safe, nonetheless. Still, when you give tzedakah, you're doing it in a way of chanina. You are granting generously. Because a person should have mercy and pity upon the ani. Give tzedakah, although it's an obligation, but it should also be done with a feeling. I feel sorry. I feel bad. If I were in that position, I would also have to ask. Here, here, take, take what you need. Aval, however, hamatonais The matonais, meaning the peya and leket, that the Torah obligated and imposed upon a person, So it is Hashem's decree upon the person that he must give, me'achar shehitil alav because he imposed this obligation on you. Maral is saying that tzedakah you give in a way of chanina, a way of generosity, in a way of pity. But the that the, these matanas that you must give from your crop, it's just a gzera. You have no choice how much to give, really. You have no choice when to give. The stuck I could give today, I could give tomorrow. It's a mitzvah. It's very nice if you do it every day. But it's not, it's not an exact moment when I am chayev in tzedakah. But when I am harvesting my field and I'm cutting and cutting and cutting, when I come to the last, last corner, I must leave peya. And that, he says, is a gzera Allah. That is a, a, a decree of a Kodesh Baruchu upon the person. Ain't suffix shah mitzvah hu yeser gadol the, the Gurari says there is no doubt that that mitzvah is greater in its maila, in its ranking. Anything in which a person is more mitzvah, any mitzvah that a person is more commanded in, that he is more forced to do it, 
Not only does he have to do it, but he must do it right now. Zehu Yoser Mawa. That is a greater Mawa. That is a greater quality. By Sha'amru Chachamim, as our Chachamim said, Badol HaMetsuva Ba'oisa, Mimi Sha'ena Metsuva Ba'oisa. It is greater the person who was commanded to do a mitzvah and does it than someone who was not commanded to do that particular mitzvah and does it. Yatam, the reason is, the one who is mitzvah, the one who is commanded to do that particular mitzvah, is fulfilling the will of Hashem. He goes on to give a marshal here, which I suggest you all take the time to, to read through. But when a person does what he is absolutely, he or she is absolutely obligated to do, that is the greatest mitzvah of all. That brings the greatest reward, and that has the greatest punch to it. That has the greatest positive effect. Therefore, the morale explains that by tzedakah, we don't find such a thing. We don't find that Chazal teach us that he who gives, that one who gives tzedakah is as if he built the base of Mikdash and brought Kobonis. Building the base of Mikdash and bringing Kobonis are, are absolute obligations, at least at certain times. But we do find that the person who gives peya and leket, the person who leaves over the corner of his field for the poor, he leaves over some of those fallen stalks of wheat, stalks of grain for the poor. That person is a mitzuba. He's absolutely he has no choice and he must do it now. And that is the greatest mitzvah. And that is equivalent to building the base of mikdash and bringing a, a korban. I don't want here to really uh, give a, a rant against what is some, sometimes called the Orthodox Jewish feminism. I'm not interested in doing that and I'm not qualified in doing that. But I will say that a person, any person, man or woman, should put their greatest efforts into those mitzvahs in, in which they are actually mitzvah. Try to do mitzvahs that you're not commanded in. It's not necessarily forbidden, but it's not the best investment. So uh, for a woman to say, I, I have to put on tefillin, I am not fulfilled as a human being until I put on tefillin. You are very fulfilled without ever putting on tefillin. And if you want to make a really good investment, you should invest it in, for example, Shmira Shabbos and Kashrus and Sneus and Hilchas Nida, et cetera, that's where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck. Putting on tefillin is, eh, you'll get a reward. You'll get something. But the real fulfillment of a Kodesh Baruch will for every person is to do those mitzvahs that he or she is literally obligated 